I realize your guys' show is for the lore, which seems like it actually for the lore, and it almost <laughs> works. You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Joining Roger is Joe, writer from WoW Insider and World of Maticus, and Vince from Massive Nerd. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 118 of For the Lore. Of course, as I'm sure you've recognized, this is a little different episode. Uh, once again, Roger's taking a little week off, get a little R&R going on. But as usual, Joe and I have got this well under control, right, man? Always. We are always prepared. And if not, we can make There's it up. Booze. I mean, what? <laughs> so... Last week, we had our second E3 episode, and that's always known as, you know, the biggest week of the year for news. Well, what does that make the week after E3? Fallout week. <laughs> so I thought, uh, at least to start off with, we take a look back at some of the smaller games that maybe didn't quite get their time to shine with all the big E3 hoopla going on surrounding, you know, all those other amazing top-tier games. And the one I wanted to start off with is actually The Cave from Double Fine. It's their next game coming out, and it's not the Kickstarter game. Kickstarter game's nope. still still doing its thing. Uh, no, this is the, their latest one uh, from Ron Gilbert, who, uh, of course, is best known for his work with games like Day of the Tentacle and whatnot. But he's also the one who worked on Death Spank for Double Fine. I love Death Spank. You love Death Spank, right? Death Spank was awesome. <laughs> Protector of, of virtue. I've... Dude, it... Thong of Destiny, man. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he, they showed off the new game a couple weeks back, and we just didn't quite have time to get to it. But I'm glad we didn't because we got some great new uh, stuff coming out of E3 about it. And this game, it's it's just one of those games. You know, you, you look at it, and if you're into puzzle platformer-style games, you're instantly like, I'm buying that the instant it's available. I will leave work, go home, download it, I'll do what I have to do, because it's right up my alley. And I like what they're doing here. It's a traditional, you know, dungeon exploration game where you have to go into this cave and discover the mysteries inside. What the twist is, there's actually seven playable characters, and you can only choose three at a time. Each one has their own unique skills, their own things that they can do, and entire story segments of the cave are dedicated just for them. That's some really cool stuff. Yeah, they each have their own little like special areas that only they can access with their abilities, uh, which is interesting because it adds replayability to it. Um, it's kind of we had, I don't know about you, but I didn't see anything about the individual characters quite yet. Um, but I, I think that could be a really good way of expressing uh, just the quirkiness of the individual characters and what potentially has called them to this cave. And quirky, I think, is a good name for this lineup. I mean, you have stuff like a medieval knight, uh, a hillbilly. <laughs> what else is in there? The, the, the weird 
little black and white kids. <laughs> and, yeah, like that was just that one was just weird, not of left field. It's like okay, it's that's a, a black and a white. Okay. <laughs> and like we saw little bits in the trailer how every character has their own unique skills. Like I said, the hillbilly can hold his breath underwater indefinitely. And it's those unique skills that A, are going to make each playthrough of the game unique, depending on what team you have. And B, is going to lead you into those special areas. So you don't have to worry about stumbling into the knight's area if you're playing as another character. And I saw little bits in that trailer of what looked like the individual areas. Like you saw the knight outside the castle window, you know, professing his love to the princess. Or the creepy little kids dancing across the rooftops in London. Yeah, it, it... That was that was that was good it's it's definitely something i'm looking forward to and it's supposed to be out later this year i'm actually kind of excited for it because it's one of those games where if you you don't take uh, too deep of a look at it you kind of just take a cursory glance it looks like oh it's just a normal side-scrolling adventure game whatever but then as you start taking a look at it more and more you realize that it's got that double fun quirkiness to it and it's going to be potentially a very awesome game Looking, looking very forward to it. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to pass it off as just another adventure game when it's from the guys who pretty much created the adventure game. The adventure game. game. <laughs> All right, moving on from there, uh, you found this one, uh, The Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing. This looks pretty interesting. Yeah, I, what caught me about it actually was originally the title because I'm a huge vampire Van Helsing type fan, um, but it's going to be an Xbox Live and PC downloadable game from Neocore Games. Uh, and it's an action RPG. Now, what you mean by action RPG? It's like Diablo. So it's like a Diablo-style game based around the entire story of, like, Van Helsing. Um, it's set in a gothic noir universe, which is, like, 19th century Europe. It's got monsters, magic, and all sorts of steampunkish technology. Uh, it's going to follow the, the actual, not the Van Helsing himself, but the son of the famed Van Helsing, um, who, of course, everybody refers to as Van Helsing because, well, you got to. Uh, and it's just this kind of this awesome adventure romp done in that isometric style of the dungeon crawler with the click fest. And it just looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, you say he's the son of Van Helsing, but the little bits I've been getting from the previews indicate that he may not quite be up to the legacy at this point. <laughs> well, that'll be the joke, right? That'll be the funny bit of it where it's like, oh, well, you know, you're not quite doing exactly as well as your dad did. But I don't know, like it just it. What got me about it, too, was the, the visuals. Uh, that It's got that steampunk, it's got that gothic noir feeling to it, and it's got that exact like UI interface that you would expect of a Diablo-style game, but it just looks so good. Like It just looks polished and fun, and I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. It almost seems like they're bringing that isometric camera in a little farther, which is going to be different if you're used to the Torchlight Diablo style, but... Of course, it's something that's going to set this game apart, and the way the visuals are, like you said, and the enemy models, it's definitely a game that you are going to want a closer look at, and that's that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I also was reading some stuff about like the combat in the game, how you know you can't have choose you know different classes. There's no barbarian. You're Van Helsing, and Van Helsing only is the playable character here. He doesn't have classes and all that, but he does have talent trees. And yes. as Van Helsing, he has this incredible repertoire of skills at his disposal, be it uh, melee moves with a sword. He has a freaking gun, because why not? As well, well as Van Helsing. Yeah. He's going to have a gun. As well as awesome magical powers. And the way they're showing it off, it's not necessarily 
okay, you know, your one button is your magic, your two. You're actually, from what I've seen, you're going to kind of be toggling between different stances to use the various skills. And that's a, a fun little twist on the usual, you know, Diablo-style formula. Well, it's something that we've been looking for, too, as well, since Diablo 2, right? We've been wanting that that complex talent tree. Well, now you have it, and you have it in a way where it's not spread out among all these different character classes. It's just one guy who can do a lot of different things. So there's there's all sorts of cool stuff like there. Um, and like you said, it's going to be completely customizable, essentially. So I'm looking very, very, very forward to that. And it's also nice to see the developer, Neocore, talking about how they want to put a big focus on the game, on the story and characters. And that's yes. that's what we're here for. And, I mean, they have steampunk werewolves. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Well, you've already seen steampunk werewolves. Top hat, monocle. Not quite the same. I'm talking about, like, they have a steam engine in their chest and it's stitched back together. <laughs> that kind of steampunk werewolf. Yeah! <laughs> And interestingly, one of the bigger games from E3 that I actually wanted to go back and take a more in-depth look at was Tomb Raider. Uh, At our first week of E3 coverage, we kind of passed over it because it looked pretty darn similar to what we saw last year. But I remember I was reading some articles about it, and at the time, everybody's just like, oh yeah, Tomb Raider looks cool. But there were some things in these articles and previews that I was reading, and I was like... Why aren't people making a bigger deal out of this? Well, I guess after uh, all of the, uh, the the big show went on and you know everybody got some sleep and got home, they realized yeah something's a bit wrong here. <laughs> and they, like they're showing off, uh, Idos was showing off one of the more pivotal scenes in the early part of the game. You know the the Lara's transformation from you know the innocent little schoolgirl into you know the Tomb Raider, where her friends have been attacked, uh, killed. She herself is attacked, even reaching the point of a sexual assault, and that's what kind of makes her snap and kill the first her first person. And it's like, okay, I, I don't want to get into the whole sexual assault side of things because that's that's a whole other animal in a exactly box we don't want to yeah open. We're, we're we're not going it's let's just say it's i find it in fairly poor taste and if not if at best it's just really lazy i think we can agree on that i just wrote two thousand words and why i think this is a bad idea so yes i think we agree way i want to look at it is they kept saying that they want to make lara a sympathetic character and somebody that you as the player are going to want to protect and I'm not quite into that. Like, I don't want my my character in the game to be, you know, weak and this and that. You, if you're playing a game, you want to play it as a strong character, especially someone who previously has been shown to be as utterly badass as Lara Croft. Well, and it, it opens up in a whole other set of, of problems, right? Because it's a female character that's being made to look like this. If it was a male character, I think... People might be a little more interested as far as like, oh, that's an interesting idea. But here it's actually getting a lot of criticism from uh, female gamers who have grown up either loving Lara Croft or loving adventure games and saying, why the hell is she going to be a scared little girl? What the hell sense does that make? And it doesn't fit for the character. I understand that this is essentially like a prequel and a reboot or whatever, but it's just it's not quite the same that character needs to be strong that character needs to be determined and if you need to have like a breaking point there are better ways to do it than what they're presenting here mm-hmm. it's it's so funny ever since we talked about that panel from pax east with uh levine and gator and um avalon and yep. 
I so many things I'm reading about in gaming and experiencing, I keep bringing back to that panel. And this is another one of those where they're talking about what makes a good character in a game and how, you know, if you, you're not using, you know, the Bioware model of, you know, the, the blank template, it has to be somebody that the player can relate with. And as a player, I mean, sure, I can relate with being, you know, powerless and this and that, but it, it's it's there's a disconnect there between is this a character I want to be playing in a video game? It might be an interesting story in its own right, but is it right for a video game? And that's and that's going to be the big question, right? And you're absolutely right. You go back to that panel and you look at what they said and you look at this and it's like, does that fit? No, this this really doesn't. This is not quite what we expected it to be. I don't know about you, but like this hearing what they had planned for it in that regard completely blindsided me. That's not the Lara Croft. That's not the Tomb Raider adventure that I expected. Did I expect it to be bloody and visceral and real and raw? Sure. I expected it to be pretty bad. I expected it to be rough. I expected it, since it was her first adventure, to kind of kick her ass all over the place. I did not, however, expect what they're presenting now. Yeah, I mean, she, she didn't come out of the womb double-fisting pistols and... <laughs> no, exactly. But she also wasn't always the, you know, she... You don't necessarily have to have them presented as such. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because it, once this finally did, you know, hit the big news sites and people started getting outraged about it, I, I, I saw some people talking about it on Twitter, and in literally five minutes, they came up with a better game than this, at least in concept. You know, just through 140 characters at a time with, oh, you know, it could be an ancient ruin underneath her boarding school. So, you know, she's still the, the proper and, you know, sheltered youth, but without having to go to such extremes about it yeah and without that like you said that disconnect and i find it hilarious for any number of reasons that there's an interesting counterpoint to this at least for me and that's because last week we saw the release of lollipop chainsaw (laughs) have you looked at this game at all uh yeah i've i've noticed it ever since there was the uh the lovely women carrying around giant chainsaws at pax I'm sure it's one of those games where even Tarch stares longingly at the cover every time you're in the store, right? I can guarantee that that's a yes. <laughs> and I don't want to say that uh, Lollipop Chainsaw is, you know, to be held up on a pedestal as how you're supposed to portray a woman in a game, but that's because it's not. I do have to like what Grasshopper has done here. Uh, we look at their last game, Shadows of the Damned, and that was a significant parody on the hyper-masculinity in games. To the point where, you know, he had these huge guns, and the more powerful the guns got, the longer they got. If you don't get that joke, I'm sorry. (laughs) So here we have the complete opposite in Lollipop Chainsaw, and kind of a parody of a woman's role in gaming. And how this, on the surface, you're presented with this character that, oh, okay, she's this cute little girl, and, you know, the cheerleader costume, and you're just like, oh, God, this is, there's no way this is going to end well. It's just going to be TNA from beginning to end. But they do so many fun things with the game, like to the point where I, I hate to actually be the one to have to say this to people. If you try to use the camera to look up her skirt, she will actually bend away from the camera and cover herself up. That's a funny little addition. That's a funny little quirk. Yeah, because, A, you know, at least half of the people who get the game, that's the very first thing they're going to do once they achieve control. So I, I, I love that they put that in there. And it's just so hyper girly 
mean, I, don't, I can't think of any other way to say it. Lollipop herself is this, you know, cheerful, bubbly, and oh, zombies attack the school? Okay, oh, my boyfriend, you know, got bitten and is about to die? Let me just chop off his head and preserve him with a magic spell. And you know, as she's killing the zombies, rainbows and sparkles are shooting out of their heads instead of blood. It's so ridiculous that you can't help but look at it and go... I get it. <laughs> that that's the way I look at it. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's if you don't look at this game and understand that it's a satire, there's a problem. And there's so many people that you know immediately are just playing it off as, oh, it's you know the teenager's wet dream. I kind of take it back to Bayonetta as well, but that's a completely different discussion. In the same vein, though, where if you if you stop for a second and really look at how it's being presented to you, not necessarily what they're presenting, there's a lot more. And I find it hilarious that. At this point, Lollipop Chainsaw, I would say, is a better female lead character than Lara Croft. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It, it hurts a little bit, doesn't it? it? It's one of those things that you don't want to have to admit that the character from a satire is a better character than one that's supposed to be in a serious game. Mm-hmm. It hurts, Vince. It hurts. <laughs> Now, there were a couple other, you know, under-the-radar games. Uh, I mentioned one at the tail end of last show, Nino Kuni, the, the big RPG coming to PS3. And I've had a few people since then tell me, like, oh my god, this game looks amazing. To the point where our good friend Dan is like, man, I gotta buy a PS3 to play this now. Yep. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that tweet. <laughs> uh, beyond that, I was really interested in Metro Last Light. Did you play Metro 23? 2033? I did, actually. 2033. 20, I did, actually. It was, uh, it was an interesting game. I, I never quite played it, uh, but now that I'm looking at Last Light and seeing just how incredibly they capture that survival feeling in the game with... Uh... They did a fantastic job, and it's one of the unsung, as far as I am concerned, unsung heroes of the survival genre. Yeah, to the point where, you know, you're collecting the uh, the filters for your gas mask. Because mm-hmm. that's only going to work for so long in this messed up atmosphere. And it's, I'm sorry, I'm just a sucker for games that have those really cool UI tricks where there, there's not, you know, like Dead Space, where there was no interface. Everything was presented to you as is. And you get a little bit of an interface with uh, Metro, but with you know the countdown being on your wristwatch or most of your ammo count being visible. It's some cool stuff like that that will really get me into a game. Oh, absolutely. And they do it really, really well. And like you mentioned, Dead Space. Dead Space had done it really well before. And I think that's where a lot of the inspiration for the original interface for Metro came out. It was just, it's how do you hide it in plain sight, essentially, uh, without making it so obscure that somebody's not going to notice it. So somebody who's not really paying attention to the game will probably miss it. But those who actually, you know, are playing the game to play, play the game are going to notice it. And it's going to be absolutely cool. Mm-hmm. It, speaking of Dead Space, did you happen to see the uh, the game trailer stuff from last week? For the uh, the third one? Mm-hmm. I did not, actually. You didn't miss much. I mean, it's, I'm not terribly surprised yeah, at this point. It's, uh, remember what we were talking about uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, I forget exactly when that one came up, about how they're changing a lot of the gameplay aspects. And it's like I said, it's not quite working for me. It doesn't have that that survival feel to it because the, the co-op and the more action oriented gameplay. And I thought maybe, okay, that was just a small little demo. We can pass that off. But then I saw this longer demo and I'm like, it, it was just more of the same. It was pure run and gun, uh, you know, some cover based shooting, stuff that I 
feel doesn't belong in Dead Space. Now, I have heard that the co-op experience is completely different from the single-player experience, and that at least gives me a little bit of hope, but if they're spending so much time developing both aspects of the game, what kind of single-player campaign are we going to get out of it? Yeah, no, and I, exactly. And like you said, it's one of those those disappointing moments because I really, really love the Dead Space series. And you look at Dead Space 3 and it's all those elements in that single player that made that game worthwhile to me are just not there right now. But we haven't heard anything about the multiplayer aside from the fact that it is wildly different than the single player. But that can mean either that it's more of the same survival or that it's something completely different and something that we don't even want. I don't know. Like, I don't even know which way that I... It leaned to hope at this point. Like, I have a little shred of hope left for the, the, the game, but not a whole hell of a lot. And, you know, I'm seeing so many people talking about how, oh, how amazing it looks and, you know, how much more interested they are in this dead space than they are in previous ones. So, I mean, good on EA. They're appealing to a new audience, but yeah, they're kind of alienating the audience that got them there. Yeah, and I mean, you can't really completely get rid of your core audience for the new one and succeed. It's just not going to happen like that. Mm-hmm. So, in a complete 180... I want to talk about Firefall, and the interesting thing about Firefall, and the reason you didn't hear about it at all at E3, is uh, Red 5 Studios actually boycotted E3. Uh, when the ESA came out in support of the SOPA bill, they they were the ones that were leading the charge to boycott E3. And um, respect, they stuck to their guns because they stayed out of the biggest game show of the year. Whether that's going to be a good move for them in the end, I can't speak to, but... I have to respect them for that decision, nonetheless. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a big deal. That's a big thing to voluntarily miss out on. And you know what? Kudos to to them for sticking by their their moral guns. You know what? I I can honestly support them for that. And for me, at least, it makes me more likely to give them money. Mm-hmm. Just saying. I know I've been playing quite a bit of the beta. Have you managed to jump into it yet? I have not actually. Oh, you poor bastard! You have no idea what you're missing out on. I know. <laughs> and, of course, one of the more popular games at E3 was Planetside 2. And they're, they're very similar games. They're MMO first-person shooters. Where Planetside 2, though, it's you know huge-scale combat. It's you know your, your territories and your, your factions, this and that. But the entire game, at least uh, as far as I can tell is built around PvP and their worldwide PvP. And that's cool. They're doing their thing. But what interests me the most about Firefall is they have a strong PvE element to the game that they're building up alongside the PvP. A really interesting story, lots of cool characters. And that's what's really putting Firefall right in my crosshairs, more so than Planetside 2. That, that's the big difference maker here. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, from everything that I've been reading about Firefall, it, it just like you, it, it's put it so far ahead of Planetside to me that it's something that I'm just looking ridiculously forward to. Um, I know I say that a lot, but, like, this is one of those games where it's everything from the visual style of the game to what they're, how everything's presented is just right, it's just right there and, and, and presented exactly how I want it to do. So, I don't know, like, it's, I'm eagerly anticipating this game yeah i mean thus far in the beta a lot of that open world and those pve questing mechanics haven't quite been implemented because they're spending a lot of time just focusing on getting the combat right and everything feeling right and everything balanced right because if your game is going to be a shooter the gameplay needs to stand up more than anything else there are going to be vast majorities of the community who are never going to leave town they're just going to keep queuing for their their battlegrounds over and over again and stuff like that 
but there there is some cool stuff out there that is just not implemented yet and i'm waiting like every weekly update i'm looking i was like you know more towns more quests is is there something else in here yet but on that combat side of things they've decided to chuck everything out the window and almost start from scratch in a lot of aspects yeah, they, I think they decided that it just wasn't quite working as they wanted it to. Yeah, it was working, but it was very similar to an experience you can get just about anywhere else. So, again, to further differentiate themselves from the pack, and as that you know free-to-play title, they they want to be different. They they're they're not looking to get that you know core standard audience that's going to pay their monthly fee. They are looking for these people who are looking for something different, and it's starting off with. They're really focusing on skill in gameplay, and that's in two different ways. A, your actual skills, your special abilities, they're really lowering the cooldowns on them, so you're going to be doing your really awesome moves much more often, and that's really fun. Well, I mean, it, it adds it adds that flair too, right, doesn't it? Because like, those extra, those special moves, those awesome moves, they, they look better, they feel better to perform, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It makes sense. But they're also looking on the actual gameplay skill. Uh, like, for example, the uh, their assault uh, battle frame that your classes. It's your typical soldier-type deal. Their main weapon is a plasma cannon. You know, fires out these balls of energy, hits, does splash damage. So, <laughs> as people refer to it, it's kind of stupid damage. You don't have to think about it too much. You just kind of fire, and if you're in the general vicinity of your enemy, it's going to hit. But they're working on putting in different types of weapons, like you know, a, a more powerful fusion cannon that doesn't have the AOE, but if you're more on target, you're going to be rewarded with more damage. So skill is going to factor into gameplay hugely. And that's good, because especially in a shooter, you need to have that sort of... It can't just be a smart targeting without skill. It has to have that, that sort of curve to it, otherwise... Where's the fun? And that's what they were experiencing. There was really a ceiling in the game where once you know a player got to a certain skill level, they couldn't improve anymore. Well, now they're putting in ways that, okay, once you reach a certain skill level, you can improve by changing up your gameplay style now. And they're really looking at two classes that right now are kind of floundering, and that's the medic and the engineer. Right, looking at the medic, they're really boring to play, just like any other healer, right, Joe? Shut your face. Filthy whore mouth. <laughs> On the bright side, the medic doesn't have a dress, so I guess that's one thing working in its favor. But I mean, it's it's like uh, like in Team Fortress. You, know, you hold down your left mouse button and hope that the guy in front of you doesn't die. That's really and the... that's boring. Yeah. It's boring. Team Fortress being a healer is not exactly cool. And I will agree with that one. And, you know, Firefall has tried to make uh, healers more offensive by instead of giving them a healing beam, it's a vampiric beam where you can drain the health from your enemies. But even then, it's it's a lock-on weapon. Hold down your left mouse button, and whoever dies first loses. So they're, they're really working on completely rebalancing the medic, making them more support. And they, they haven't really detailed how they're doing that yet, because like I said, it's such a huge overhaul. It's going to take time. But it, they're saying they don't want the medic to be as essential as it is now. As it, as it stands, if you have two medics on a team of eight, you essentially win. <laughs> if if the if your other team only has one, so they're they're trying to make the medic less essential, but also more fun to play, and that's that's great because I I hate healers, but if they can make a healer interesting, I at least won't laugh at the healers. Let's put it that way. 
Well, and, and for me, it's really important because I like playing healers in any game I play. And the medic was one of the classes that I was looking at playing in Firefall because, again, I play healer in every goddamn game I play. But it shouldn't be that hard to make it that interesting. I mean, one need look no further than Terror to see that healing can be very interesting and very fun. It's just a matter of if you're going to rebalance it, make sure that you do it right. You have to make it engaging. You have to give a skill, uh, basically, like you have a skill shot or a skill cap for everybody else. Healers need to have that too. There needs to be that level of difficulty. You make it too easy and it becomes just a crutch. You make it too hard and nobody ever wants to play it. So finding that balance is going to be very intriguing. It's one that I'm going to be watching for because, again, it's a class that I truly, honestly want to play in this game. See, and then looking at the class I am most interested in, that's the Engineer. And the Engineer is so much fun to a point. Because, yeah, it's great setting up your turret in a cool spot and your shield here and just awesome. I got this part of the battlefield locked down. But the best Engineer in the world still doesn't really do <laughs> anything. They're just kind of there. And so they're, they're working on making the engineer more proactive, uh, you know, giving them better offensive weaponry, because as it stands right now, your turret is your offensive weaponry. Yeah, you have a gun, but good luck using it to any great effect. And it does dick all. Yeah, pretty much. And they're also talking about finding ways to make the engineer more mobile. Because they're obviously they're set up around building these encampments of weaponry. So on a capture the flag map or something like that, of course they're going to absolutely be essential to the team. But I'd say a deathmatch or one of the more open-ended, you know, King of the Hill style maps that they have, you can play as an engineer, obviously, but it's really hard to play an engineer effectively. So I'm really interested in seeing what they can come up with to make that engineer more mobile instead of you know being tied out. Because when you deploy your turrets, you can also upgrade your turrets using using up your ammo to do so, your wrenches. So it's kind of hard to just kind of move to a different shop. You have to resupply. You have to drop down new turrets. So I'm really interested to see how they can make that more engaging. I'm interested in that as well because, like you said, right now it's a very, for lack of a better term, a passive class. And I'd like to see how they rebalance that to make it more aggressive, to put it into the fight, so to speak, instead of having it just be a nesting class. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is, right? It's a nesting class. But, you know, balancing and combat changes, sure, that's fun. But they've decided to go a little more crazy and completely remove character levels from the game. Uh, before, you could level up all your battle frames separately. You know, you, you mm-hmm. like right now I have, you know, a level 8 engineer, a level 5 assault, you know, a level 4 juggernaut, stuff like that. Well, they're throwing it out the window. You're like, you have, you are a level. You know, that that's it. No, no levels. But you're still going to earn experience. And what you can do is you can spend that experience in any way you see fit. Like, let's say you're a recon, you know, the, the sniper stealthy class. You want an absolutely awesome sniper rifle. Well, as it stands right now, you would have to wait until level you know, 10 or 12 to get that really awesome sniper rifle. Well, if you save up your experience for the purpose of getting that sniper rifle, take, making the choice to pass up on other upgrades along the way that you could get quicker and easier, that's an option for you. And that's, that's cool that they're giving players that much freedom to choose how they want to level up. Which is very, very cool. That sounds really awesome. Mm-hmm. And there's still there's balancing involved because now they're putting in 
power requirements and weight management. Like, sure, you have that really awesome sniper rifle, but that sniper rifle is literally all you can use until you upgrade your armor some more, get some more power supply or some more weight capacity. That is really, really interesting. Well, it's and it's the limitation for the payoff. And they're ha- like you said, it's balancing. It's that balance within balance within balance. Everything you do has to have a consequence or has to have a reaction to the game system. So, like, the sniper rifle being the prime example. Yes, you can get that. It's a nice, powerful weapon early, but then that's all you have. And that, in certain circumstances, may not be the best choice of a weapon that you could possibly ever hope for. Mm-hmm. And it also takes away that that kind of boredom you get as you're playing. You're like, oh, I'm, you know, 10,000 experience away from the next level. You have literally nothing to look forward to over the course of that time. And then, oh, you level up and you gain access to a skill you don't even want to use. So then you have, you know, 40,000 more experience to go through. So giving players those smaller goals along the way if they want them and being able to not have that useless level up, if you will, that's going to go a long way to being more engaging and more fun. Absolutely. And just as if that wasn't enough, yeah, there's actually crafting in the game, and I kind of like the way the crafting works. It has a bit of that Star Wars feel, where you go to the workbench, you select what you want to build, and then you just walk away. It'll continue crafting while you're gone, and you know you just remember, okay, time's up, my thing's done, go pick it up. And it's cool, but right now, like you level up, and you're like, okay, you gain access to this new schematic, and then you have to go make the thing, and you know, okay, that's that. That is pretty much the extent you have all this resource gathering you can do which you know right now at the level of uh, pve implementation they have is pretty much all there is to do once you finish the few quests that are in there is go out and mine resources but they're making that interesting where okay you'll have let's use that sniper rifle analogy again okay this sniper rifle uses 30 pieces of ore use your 30 pieces of ore make the sniper rifle awesome however if you use 30 pieces of high quality ore, you'll get that same sniper rifle, but with some boost to it, you know, extra range, uh, less recoil, what have you. It's not going to be vastly more powerful, but, but just a little extra bang yeah, for your buck, just enough to make it worth your time to go get the more rare materials. Well, how do you get those rare materials? By exploring the world. And like I said, there's so many people who right now pretty much just hang out in town, queue for their for their battlegrounds over and over again because A, that's all there is to do right now and B, that's really all you need to do to progress in the game. Well, now it's getting those people and not forcing them necessarily, but enticing them to, you know, go step outside down. Don't don't worry about the giant bugs. They, they don't bite too hard. You know, you see this huge world we designed? Go, go, go look it. at it. <laughs> Please. Which is important because the visuals in the game, like the backdrop is gorgeous from everything that I'm seeing for it. While I haven't experienced it firsthand from the screenshots, from the videos that I'm seeing, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It just looks very pretty. It, it's a very, very, very nice looking game. <laughs> and just uh, one last little thing about Firefall is they've started revealing their comic that they're putting up on the web, detailing... A manga. They, sometimes they call it a manga, sometimes they call it a comic. It reads left to right, and it's in color. I'm not calling it a model. Ah, that's a comic. You <laughs> bastards. You bastards. Learn your terminology, you bastards. So they're detailing uh, you know, the origins of this this world that you're on, where all, all we know so far is there's this huge scientific experiment went wrong, and basically there's another dimension encroaching upon you know your your civilization that you have to kind of beat back. That's the extent of kind of what we know at this point. So this 
comic is detailing everything leading up to that. I, we haven't gotten too much so far. They were really cool and put the entire first chapter online all at once. Uh, after this, you're just going to be getting two pages a week. But, yeah, that's okay. The, the game is still a ways off. You know, Don't want to dump too much on people and then have them not hear from you for a while. But I really enjoyed what they did with this little comic. But uh, it has some really amazing artwork. Uh, and you can you can already see where they're testing this new starship drive that's going to fold space. All right, in any sci-fi genre, would you use the words fold and space? I think of Event Horizon <laughs> and the scary motherfuckers that shit that happened on that one. Just saying. It never ends well. No, it well. never ends well. <laughs> All right, maybe in Dune, but then you still have those freaky big head squid things, and that's we'll call right, that we'll our... call that a wash. Yeah, we'll call that a wash. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, definitely go check it out. Uh, Firefallthegame.com doing some really cool stuff over there. I'd highly recommend anybody who's interested in a free-to-play MMO FPS. Check that one out. All right, what else do we have here? Oh, we have some scary shit. Amnesia, a machine for pigs. (laughs) I know you absolutely loved Amnesia, right? Oh my god, absolutely. Enough so that I bought another copy of the game. (laughs) You're actually the one who talked me into buying and playing Amnesia. So uh, why, why don't you go ahead and take a run with this? All right, so and uh, we've been hearing about that there's going to be another version of Amnesia coming out soon. It's everything that we've heard from like the the Chinese room, the rumors that have been been held there, and everything else. Well, this is you know we've gotten a teaser trailer, and it's from Frictional Games, and of course, well, the Chinese room. There you go. There's where that that, that reference was from. Um, you ba- it's got this very steampunky, very uh, gaslight feel to it, where it's very old timey. With a lot of rundown, uh, you know, factories almost, and sort of it looks almost like an old school. Uh, I want to say almost like a London, uh, and everything looks normal in the trailer up to you get to the point where there is eviscerated pig corpses on an altar, Whoops. staple to a cross. <laughs> Whoops, who left that there? <laughs> and then you immediately come through with what is going to obviously be their new creature, their new their new evil. And your introduction to it is while you're hiding in the basement under a set of stairs and you hear a monstrous groan plus pig-like squeal. And what looks like the tail of a curly pig in the shadow on the wall. So I can only guess that the monster is going to be some weird pig-like Frankenstein-type creature. And I'm okay with that because that's fucking scary in and of itself. I already don't want to play this game. I do want to play this game. I want to. I want to be so scared playing a game that I actually potentially shit myself. I'm sorry, Tart. And they're they're pulling a Prometheus with this, where they're saying it's not yeah. a sequel to The Dark Descent. It just happens to be another story set in the same universe in the same timeline. <laughs> Those bastards. Like I think they said it takes place like you know some sixty years afterwards. The little bit I was getting is. You're on this trip to Mexico, you come down with this bizarre fever where you see this crazy machine thing going on. You wake up, you're like, man, that was that was weird. I'm glad that's over with, except it's like six months later and you're in this weird ass temple. So (laughs) the setup alone, like, okay, this is going to be weird. It's going to be some long, dark nights, but uh, it's definitely going to be a damn entertaining experience along the way. Absolutely agreed. 
They have my money on day one, damn it. Did you play the, uh, what was it, the expansion or whatever, Justine and what's going to call it, the Cabinet of Perturbation, I think it was called? No, I haven't gotten around to actually playing it. I have it, just haven't played it. Yeah, well, that one, those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we also got a little bit of detail on the latest project coming from the guys from Limbo. Yeah, that was actually really exciting for me, too. It's it's being tentatively called Project 2. Um, it will be headed to the PS3, the Xbox 360, PC, and Mac, just like Limbo was. Um, and it's going to take place, what we know, it's, it's going to be following the actions of a child again. And this time it's going to be completely in color. The backdrop is going to be completely 3D, but all of the action um, is taking place in 2D. So you're going to be 3D environments with the 2D working space, so to speak. And you will be battling the forces of evil through puzzles and challenging scenarios, which is actually kind of cool because, I mean, that's essentially what they did in the first game. But adding more depth to the game, adding more essentially production value, having richer backgrounds and having... Uh, much more detail uh, while they while they can definitely serve to have a very exciting very interesting very creepy game in black and white there's so much more you can do when you add color and that sort of depth to it because i think they're going to be hiding a lot of shit in the background just off the top of my head that's that's one one feeling i have yeah like giant goddamn spiders I'm sure there's going to be a reference to it somewhere in this game. There's going to have to be. Uh, speaking of references, though, uh, did, you didn't play Trials Evolution, I'm assuming. Nope, did not. Highly recommend it. Best 15 bucks I've ever spent. But there's a whole bunch of levels in that game that are homages to other indie titles. And they actually did a limbo level where it's you know, that black and white. And it was just absolutely awesome. Nice. Yeah. But coming back to this uh, so-called Project 2, how many people do they have working there? Like two? A very, very small number. Because uh, I was reading, you know, okay, it has a million-dollar budget, and uh, they're not releasing any information, but of course there's public information involved because they're getting uh, funding from their government. Not like 38. This is an actual grant. <laughs> <laughs> not a loan. Let's make the distinction. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about when the game can be expected to be finished, and they're like, oh yeah, fourth quarter 2014. You bastards. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, with a small team, that's going to be expected. Doesn't mean we have to like it, but we do have to accept it. Again, bastards. <laughs> so, I mean, we can probably look forward to seeing this on the next-gen consoles as well. I mean, obviously they can't announce it for a console that doesn't exist yet. But it'd be interesting to see if maybe, you know, well, you don't really need much power to play a Limbo-type game. So the, more, the additional horsepower in the new systems probably isn't going to get you too much uh, of an improvement because it's pretty much going to be gorgeous as it is on the current hardware. But then that brings up another interesting thing, because these games are always, they make them compatible for the Mac. They make them Mac games. You can oh, buy Limbo oh, in the Mac App Store. Retina display is now the big thing. Not only does the MacBook Pro has it, but it's not going to be too long before we start seeing it in the larger systems. So it's going to become the normal. By the time that this game is released, Retina displays are going to become commonplace, not just on your tablets, but in your, your home console, like your monitors, whatever computer you have, and PCs are going to have to step up too. So imagine this game designed with that in mind. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, they're already pretty games to begin with. That's just going to take it to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I hadn't quite thought of that. Very good, Joe. 
All right, the last uh, bit of news item we have here. All right, are you even playing DC Universe Online? Because you keep sending in all these news articles for it. I pop in every now and then. I mean, it's it's free to play, so I'll pop in and say hello and kill a couple things and then do whatever new quest scene I can and then leave. Well, from what I'm getting about this uh, this new Last Laugh DLC, if you are that pop-in, pop-out type player, well, this one might interest you and it might be worth your money. Uh, I don't know. What, what are we looking at here? Well, Mark Hamill is going to be making a return as the voice of the Joker in the game, as if we, you know, wasn't already badass enough as being the Joker everywhere else. Uh, it's going to be, uh, the best way I can phrase it, awesome. Um, he's going to be joined by Adam Baldwin, uh, which, you know, you may remember from Firefly, uh, with doing some voice acting there as well, and Arlen Sorkin. Uh, it's just going to be an awesome DLC, and it's it's the last laugh. You know it's going to be epic. You know it's going to be fucked up. You know it's going to be weird in an unusual way. And with all those solid voice actors behind it, how could you not just want to get in there? See, I find it interesting, though, because the entire purpose of this DLC, if you will, is to add in a lot more of the PvP content, uh, these, these huge raids, and like all kinds of really interesting stuff that they're doing, but assuming this is Mark Hamill's last turn as the Joker. <laughs> I, I would have liked to have seen it be a little more, you know, story-based. Give give the guy something awesome to do, like we saw in Arkham City. The way they yes. sent out the Joker, that was a great way for Hamill to walk off into the sunset on. So now he's going to have to do something else. <laughs> Unless they're hiding something really awesome inside the, these weird PvP, you know, rule sets and matches and battlegrounds and stuff. I'm actually kind of going to be a little disappointed if this is what he ends on. Well, I wouldn't think that this is how he's going to want to end, so I'd kind of keep your eyes peeled, because you never quite know what's going to be there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure they have a surprise in store. <laughs> yeah, but looking back at uh, this video where they were interviewing Hamill and the other guys, this guy just absolutely loves playing the Joker. Like, I love how he was talking about, you know, he went to try and do musicals and theater and this and that because he wanted to do different characters and they all paled in comparison. Essentially. Yeah. You, you cannot do a better character than the Joker. And he even went on to say that, you know, with all his voice acting hours, he has now played the Joker more than anybody else in history. I mean, of course, more than any of the guys in the movies, but I hadn't thought more than Cesar Romero who did yep. countless episodes of the TV show. I was like, man, and I, he is now in history going to go down as the Joker. Yep, he is. He is the Joker. I mean, us growing up with him already knew that, but still, mm -hmm. it's an impressive, impressive feat. And one other funny little thing I about, got out of this was when they were talking about how you know the character of Harley actually came around, because when you know Harley did not exist in the comics, she was actually her first you know introduction to the Batman universe was through the animated series. And then it wasn't yep. until later they said, hey, that's a cool character. We're going to put her into the comics. Well, she wasn't even really intended to be a character in the TV show. They just kind of had her, like they said, as, you know, generic female minion number two. But Arlene Sorkin came in and did this absolutely outstanding voice interpretation of Harley that that was it. That, that had to become a character. And it's really cool to see just how much something that on the outside looking in as simple as a voice actor, can absolutely determine a character. Well, and it's nice to know that, you know, the people that have been behind this all along, they recognize those little tweaks like that, those little those little 
those little bits of details that everybody would normally like, ah, you know, whatever. But yeah, seeing something that was originally supposed to be like this nonsensical henchman become this awesome, iconic character, because I think we can safely say that she's iconic at this point. Uh, it's it's kind of awesome and to see her making a return for this DLC as well is is uh, something that makes me very very happy. I just don't want to see Mark Hamill become the Brett Favre of voice acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but unlike Brett Favre, I'll take it. I'll I... accept it. I'll take every little tidbit that he has with his voice acting. And I'll be like, because I'm that giddy whenever he does that voice acting job oh, as the joke. Absolutely. But that's whole I'm retiring. I'm back. I'm retiring. I'm back. I Stop messing with my feelings, Mark. I know you listen to the show, Mark. So I, I would just like as a passionate <laughs> fan to implore you do give, give us one more, one more something awesome and leave it at that. Let let your legacy speak for itself. Go out with a bang. You're Literally. the Joker. Yeah, come on. You have to. <laughs> but still, uh, for for a DLC, it's bringing something different to DC Universe that it, it was lacking on before. Let's talk about, um, was it, the, the PvP legacy characters that you can use? Like, you know, how you can play as actually Batman and Superman yeah. PvP. They're bringing in guys like Kilowog and Sinestro. That's cool. <laughs> the, the 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 thought of being able to play through this game as well not through the game but a, an aspect the of content. the game as yeah. the big pink dude from Green Lantern all right that that's kind of cool Sony I'm, I have to admit well Kilowog's kind of badass to begin with yeah you poozer <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway guys we're kind of gonna wrap it up here uh, like I said bit of a slow news week but we had a fun show talked about some interesting stuff that maybe on a busier week we might not might not have had a chance to get to and it's nice to take this little stop and smell the roses along the way sometimes so we thank you for listening as always you can find us at forthelore.com uh, on twitter at forthelore or even email us forthelore at gmail.com uh, stick around through the end of the show Joe has a very nice little feature on defiance coming up so we'll see everybody next week bye everybody thanks for joining Defiance is going to be the first game of its kind, one that is not only trying to bridge the gap between consoles and PCs further than it has ever gone before, but also endeavors to become cross-media. This new MMO from Trion Worlds will span the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC, and it will also integrate with the television series of the same name on the Sci-Fi Network, making it truly the first transmedia game to date. It is set in the near future, and introduces a completely transformed planet Earth, inhabited by the human and alien survivors of a universal war. Forced to cohabitate, the disparate groups struggle to build a new society among the devastation. The dramatic tapestry of the series, combined with the intense action of the game, will then serve to exist in a single universe where they will then have an impact on one another and evolve together in the overall story. The game and the TV show take place in two different locations. The TV series takes place on the township of Defiance itself, built on the remains of what was St. Louis. After it was buried under the aggressive terramorphine, all that remains of the city is a few skyscrapers jutting from the valley, like jagged rocks and the iconic gateway arch. The city is nestled in a valley surrounded by mountains that have sprung up to surround it thanks to the Volt and Terra engines. It became a secure location that drew the allied human and Volt and settlers together 
to found what would become known as Defiance. The mountains, however, seemed that it was rich in molten ore, which then resulted in the lure for optimists to come and try to get their hands on it. Volten ore is like the new steel. Everything is made from it. Weapons, vehicles, housing, everything. These settlers built as fast as they could, and built with whatever they could, and it makes Defiance a true melting pot. The climate will be sure to breed a drama and intrigue based on people trying to do what they can to survive, and in such a nice, tight space. The town's name of Defiance is a reference to the joint living situation of the two species, human and Votan, as they attempt to stand united in order to show the world that the two races can live together and achieve balance. Defiance stars Grant Bowler as Nolan, Julie Benz as Amanda Rosewater, Stephanie Leonidas as Irisa, Tony Curran as Datak Tar, Jamie Murray as Stamatar, Garam Green as Rafe McCauley, Mia Kirshner as Kenya, and Fiona Flanagan as Nikki. The pilot is going to be directed by Stephen Stewart, who is famed from Legion and Priest. It is written and executive produced by Rockney O'Bannon from Farscape, Kevin Murphy of Desperate Housewives, Caprica, and Hellcats, and Michael Taylor from Battlestar Galactica. And Kevin Murphy serves as the showrunner. It has a first-rate production team that is lending their creative prowess to the ambitious project, such as visual effects supervisor Gary Hutzel from Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, alien language and culture consultant David J. Peterson from Game of Thrones, music supervisor Beer McCurry from The Walking Dead and Battlestar Galactica, writers David Weedle and Bradley Thompson from Falling Skies, Battlestar Galactica, and the three-time Oscar-winning costume supervisor Colleen Atwood. It's a truly all-star cast that is coming together both in production and the actors to try to make this not only just a fantastic series, but one that will be remembered for its visual prowess, story, and hopefully its staying power. The game has creative forces that behind it that have worked on such top online games, including Rift, EverQuest, and Borderlands. Key features of the game is going to be an intense third-person shooter focused on story-driven missions designed to be played solo or with thousands of other live players in the world around you. Because it's being made by Trion Worlds, you can tell it's going to be part of a shard server, or at least we can assume so. So there's going to be a lot of interaction with a lot of people trying to make it truly feel as if you're in this world. It, in fact, is a massive and persistent world, which is fully realized, open world set in a futuristic San Francisco Bay Area supporting tens of thousands of simultaneous live players. There will be complete customer characterization where you can play as a human or alien, modify your appearance, upgrade weapons, select different specializations, and become a unique citizen of the Defiance universe. Player progression uh, is, the best way they can describe it is a console-native shooter with a multitude of weapons, armor, and special abilities that evolve with the experience as you gain them. Basically, you level up you get more badass and more special abilities. It also totes having unedited gameplay with missions, emergencies, and endless exploration opportunities across a giant game world. It's attempting to be a genre-changing title that is, wants to keep players engaged for years. Now, the interaction between the game and the TV series is something that a lot of people are very interested in. What it seems like right now is that the missions you undertake will then come to have 
uh, fruition or results that show up in the TV series. NPCs in the game will move back and forth between the series and the game itself. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, one of the, uh, the main players that we talked about, Nolan, played by Grant Bowler, will frequent between the two. He will serve as a way for the, the story to continue in both realms, uh, as well as allow players to have an impact, essentially, with what they're doing. It, there's not a whole lot of details on what choices you make in the game, how they will truly affect it, but the way they're, they're talking about this, the way that the game is being thought of, is that everything you do will have a divine impact on the entire universe as a whole. It's a pretty major thing, and it's something that a lot of people are very excited about, myself included. The third-person shooter aspect is something that a lot of people can give or take, but it lends itself very well to what we're used to seeing. Think of the Borderlands world with that third-person perspective, that sort of post-apocalyptic alien sort of landscape, but with those familiar faces, humans, uh, buildings, construction, things from the human past that you might not have seen before. It's an interesting idea. And the idea that there's going to be free movement between uh, the players and uh, the, the NPCs, between the players and those that are on the TV show, and between these two locations of San Francisco, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, and Defiance, is very intriguing. A lot of people have been claiming that this is going to be nothing more than a marketing ploy by sci-fi basically attempting to try to get more people to watch their television show and drive up ratings. But it has a unique opportunity to do something that no other game really has had a chance to do. And it's to tell a very unique narrative. One where you have, beyond just the normal confines of the game, yes, you're going to have story-driven missions. Yes, there's going to be heavy lore and heavy... Uh, routes for players to explore and those missions and those quests and that world is going to be alive on its own but now you have a whole new opportunity we have top-notch sci-fi writers sci-fi drama writers that are coming together to create another layer on top of that so that the world will constantly change the world will constantly evolve and the players in that environment both PCs and NPCs will all sort of grow and have that opportunity Looking back at some of the people they have involved in this, Battlestar Galactica veterans, Caprica veterans, you have veterans from such a hailed series, and one of my personal favorites is Firescape. You're getting a really epic level quality of, of personnel here, and this has real honest potential to become something so much greater and to prove that video games are more than just pastimes that they are truly works of art in what they do, and the visual representations and the stories they tell. Not a whole lot is being released right now. It was recently announced at the E3. Uh, there's been some press releases and a little PR campaign, but not much quite yet besides a teaser trailer. We do know that it is slated for the spring of 2013 on all systems simultaneously. We're hoping to hear more about it, and as we do, you better bet that I will be keeping a very very close eye on this. <laughs>